Good evening, Link Church. Good to see so many faces. Uh, we've just gone live. Yes, hello, Hayden Rakes. No dubs, no party. I can see the t-shirt representing. Love it. Sarah Jobling, our favorites. Please give Rob an extra hug from us. Um, so awesome to see everyone. Mom and Dad, Maka, Gwen. How are you, Gwen? Give us a little wave if you... There we go. Gwen's a legend. Um, obviously, the hen was just holding the... Holding it all together, Palm Lake's fantastic. Looking very cool, guys. That could actually be the back of a yacht, your backdrop. If I look at it now, I would never say you were in South African soil anyway. Um, I think one or two more people are coming on as I speak, and so we're going to let that happen. But we're in for an amazing evening tonight, and so obviously joined with Mads again. Nice to be in studio with you. Um, I'm so stoked to be back on the coast. It's awesome. And you're holidaying at the moment. I am. Well, a bit of both. Okay. Well, the, like we said beforehand, the waves and the and the sea hasn't played its part yet, but it's going to. I hope so. Thursday's the day I'm aiming for. You're a surfer. Are your kids surfers? Is your family into surfing? Um, my eldest son actually, he's eight. He he can surf, and so every time we're home, he uh, he does try and catch a wave or ten. Nice. So, yeah. Your eight's young. I think the the sea is quite scary still at that age if you're getting out there. So. No, the kids are fearless. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Fearless. Fearless. Word of the day, fearless. Anyone else excited about talking about being fearless? Just give us a thumbs up. Okay, I'm going to talk to the church for just a moment. Ash is giving us a thumbs up. Uh, I need interaction tonight. So you're welcome to ask questions anytime you want. There's a chat room. I can see you all in the chat room. And even at 38, my eyes are glowing looking at that chat room over, now, over there. Um, so just post your questions. Use capital text. That'll help me. Um, if you post questions, but also if you hear something that speaks to you or that makes sense, at the bottom of your screen, there's a little button called reactions. Um, I know it's not always easy to jump on and use it, but please can I encourage you to do that. It, it helps for us in the studio because we can see it. If Mads is on a subject or she says something that really like stands out for you, hit like a little thumbs up or a hands, praise hands, whatever it is, um, laughing face, good old classic, um, but it, it, it helps us. So I think, Mads, I am going to jump straight in Great. and ask you, everyone good to go? Ask you to give us, if you could, a two-minute-ish mm -hmm. summary. Obviously, I'm excited about Truth About Trauma. Last week really impacted me. I'm going to speak more about it personally as we go tonight. I think, I think more so than you may have realized, last week spoke to me. But I'd love to know, um, in two minutes, a summary of last week. Maybe some new people. Okay. What's it all about? Awesome. So I actually read a quote um, a couple of weeks ago that says that trauma is not experienced as a memory, but as a reaction. And I think that really summarizes the whole concept that we absorb trauma through our body and through our emotions more than from a cognitive perspective. When you're in a place of fight or flight or freeze in that kind of hyper kind of vigilant stage, you're, you're absorbing everything through your senses and that's how it stores. Um, and that's why so many people struggle to kind of process trauma because they're trying to process it from a cognitive perspective instead of what 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 i'm feeling in my body what i'm feeling in my emotions um and we want to try and manage it first from a cognitive but you can't you have to actually grow awareness around your feelings your what's physically going on in your body and allow that to be in a sense expressed but we don't like to feel we like to numb, we like to suppress. We, and, uh, and that's why often people get stuck in trauma and suddenly they can find themselves years later 
having a physiological reaction to us, you know, a sound, a smell, yeah. um, something they see, and suddenly there's this kind of fear that will grip them that they they that that almost kind of don't know how to process cognitively because it's it's not something to process cognitively it really is a physiological response so understanding the impact of trauma from that perspective is so important because if i'm aware of why i'm being triggered then i can better manage it but most people don't they just kind of push through it and it just builds, it kind of just creates deeper fears. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think understanding that physiological perspective of trauma is so key to kind of the journey of healing. That's great. And I think, like you say, um, you know, I like how you say it's an, you said it's an experience. Like it's this, an experience. That's really powerful because mm-hmm. trauma not dealt with ends badly, right? Yeah. We don't want that. No. Which is why I've loved this course because we're we're looking at what is trauma, mm-hmm. and some of us actually this was part of my story from last week is there've been feelings or emotions or experiences along the way that are probably triggers of some form of trauma, mm-hmm. and big and small. I think most people when they think of trauma they picture the ER room, you know, like yeah. person gets wheeled out the ambulance, everything's falling apart, ER room. But can trauma be a little bit more subtle than that at times? Completely. Um, and so from from a perspective, um, and from a kind of how I perceive any kind of life events. You know, if, if I've been in a car accident, if I've been chased by a dog, if I've been held down by a wave and it, I perceived it as life-threatening, wow. then it will cause some level of trauma. If my, if my vision to life is to be a mother and I can't, and I can't fall pregnant, it's trauma. If my, if my vision is retirement in five years and everything I've invested in is gone, it's trauma. If my vision is to play first team rugby and now sports is canceled, it can be trauma. trauma. So from a scale perspective, we often want to go, well, it wasn't really life or death, but when it's, when it's impacting emotions, especially to even dreams and visions and expectations of life, and there's death there, it can be traumatic. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that this is what it's all about. We, we're learning to identify trauma, yeah. the truth about trauma, yeah. um, but also some practical tools to move us through it. Last week was really amazing. About, I love the last kind of, I, I don't know where we were in the conversation of trauma, but I loved how you spoke about uh, the, that feeling space, like seeing the feeling, like letting them identify it, affirming the feeling. What do you, but the last question was amazing. It left, it left the stirring in my mind the whole week when you flipped the equation and you said, well, what are you planning to do about it? Like, and gave ownership back to the person. So I guess to say to all of us here tonight, um, hopefully what Mad says and, and, and everything that she's unpacking for us encourages us, brings awareness to us. But more than anything, I hope that she gives us the permission as a church community, we certainly want this to become something we become good at, to take ownership of or responsibility for managing and processing trauma. You speak a lot about fear. I could see when you walked in here tonight, I said, is there anything burning you like? I got to talk about fear tonight. It's crippling people. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I had to say, give me a thumbs up if you've experienced or feel like fear is overwhelming at the moment, um, people would agree. Let's talk about that. I know there's a graph. There's a whole lot of stuff. Let's hang there for a bit. Let's talk about fear. So fear, I mean, roots of it is all based on on the story I'm telling myself. There's an aspect of of anxiety, most people are either living in, in, in the past of regret or the future of fear. And so it's this perception of what might happen that leaves me feeling powerless 
And especially when I feel out of control, that I don't have control over potential circumstances, perceived circumstances. And so it's this constant place of living in a, almost in a realm that doesn't exist, that's just going to stimulate further anxiety and fear, because I'm trying to control something that I actually have no control mm -hmm. over, um, which just builds deeper fear and deeper anxiety. Um, and so all behavior is driven by a need to connect or self-protect. And when I'm choosing behavior that's destructive, it often fuels a deeper sense of fear because it actually leaves me feeling completely powerless. Um, and that's why so many people get stuck. Um, and, and it and ultimately boils down to the story I'm telling myself. And is it truth? And what have I actually aligned or made agreements with from a, from a belief perspective? Um, and if it's not according to truth, then it's going to be according to death, to lies. Mm. Um, and so getting back down to the nuts and bolts of thinking about what I'm thinking about, being aware, because so many people aren't, aren't consciously thinking about their thought processes. So in a sense, they are victim to their minds. And if their minds are kind of ruminating and stuck on all sorts of thoughts, um, then they're going to, in a, in a sense, go on some kind of a crazy roller coaster there. There's more. Can I interrupt you? Can you give us uh, some of those thought examples? Okay. Like, Give us classic thought examples that seem to just churn in people's minds that you have seen consistently. Mm. Um, are, there, are there consistent kind of thoughts that seem to cripple people? So I think a lot of times when a person doesn't know their own value or worth, or they don't have a deep trust in, in kind of understanding who God is and at the same time managing the reality of the, this broken world they live in. And so, you know, we live in a world that wants to numb the reality of what's going on around us. So if I can numb it, suppress it, anesthetize it, Botox it, deny it, whatever it is, then I feel like I'm in control of something that I actually have no control over. Um, and so it's not trusting in God. It's not, well, it's not having a firm foundation. Um, and I think, I think this, this worldwide COVID storm has revealed the strength of people's foundations. And actually, so many people are building their identity on, on everything else but a firm foundation. And so now that it's cracking, there's the sense of I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. Um, I don't belong. I'm always going to fail. Um, and so people, I've, I've actually seen people oscillating from almost extreme performance driven to completely avoidance living. And when we're in avoidance living, we're actually living in a, in, a, in a prison of fear because we fear failure. We fear abandonment. We fear that we're the only one struggling and there's something wrong with me. And, um, and it's, you know, it kind of keeps people in this, well, let me just keep pretending. Or let me just deny. So those are all the classic defense mechanisms around it because I don't actually want to be brutally honest about what's going on behind my behind the scenes. I think right now, what you've just described on the back end of that, uh, pretending, denying, hiding, uh, whatever it is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the liberty of making a generalization to say all of us in this room with you right now have played that at some level. All of us, myself included, as your pastor. Don't tell anyone if you're on the Zoom room, the church thinks I'm perfect. Um, but for sure, I think there is that. How do we get through it? Like, yes. 
let's talk about this. How, how do you process through those fe- uh, feelings of shame and guilt and I'm never going to make it. I'm going to fail every time, which like you say, have surfaced particularly badly in this season, but just tells us they've been there all, all along. We've just never had to deal with them. I think the biggest scheme lie that the enemy wants people to believe is that their value is, is determined by their behavior. So the second your value, who you are, your self-worth, your identity is based on a behavior, and now my behavior is cracking or falling or whatever it is, then I'm going to automatically go into hiding, blaming, covering, denying, masking. The more we get in touch with knowing that our value has got absolutely nothing to do with performance, failure, or anything in between that it leads to liberated living mm. because I know I now no longer have to earn my worth. And so if I'm, if I'm earning my worth then I'm going to go automatically back into fear, if I know securely the foundation that my identity is built on, then no matter what rocks my boats, I'm secure. So whether I achieve the best and then I'm worried about somebody else getting better, it's not going to, threaten my identity if i fail again it's not going to threaten my i mean i always claim i am a confidently bad speller (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't take away from who i am but there were many years that i was like i gotta get everything edited because i'm petrified of people see you know how can a teacher be somebody who can't spell well, now I actually claim it because it doesn't determine who I am. And so it, it's, it's liberated me into, an, into a greater place of freedom to just be who I am because that doesn't define me. And so it goes back to just knowing your identity on a firm foundation versus living a performance-based identity. That's great. Mm. Um, so you have that graph that you speak about that kind of unpacks this whole thing. Can we take a moment to talk through it? I think it looks really cool. It's going to help us. Cool. So it's, it's, a, it's actually a cognitive behavioral therapy tool. Ash, I don't know if you can pop it up. But there, there are five key things to be aware of. And I'm going to just take you through all of these. It's, it's such a great self-awareness tool um, because people perish because of a lack of knowledge and self-awareness falls into that category. So in the top of the, of the diagram, you see a letter A there. That stands for activating event. Um, and basically what this encaptures is anything, any trigger in your world. So whether it's kind of performance reviews, whether it's COVID, whether it's the death of someone, whether it's your children behaving badly, um, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, everyone's got some kind of a trigger in their life that really wants to get them. B stands for the story you're telling yourself. Now, I want to just press pause between A and B because it's, it's a very kind of vulnerable space in our minds. And it's a space that most of us don't give a lot of time to. It's, it's kind of a space I call mind the gap because there's this gap in our minds between an event and the story I tell myself that is literally about life and death. So every time we go through any kind of experience, the first thing that's going on in our minds unconsciously is we're asking why questions. Why is this happening? Why is God allowing COVID? Why did my spouse have to die? Why did, you know, why did my business get kind of hit by the rights? Why did my child end up with, you know, we're always asking why questions. And this is a space where thoughts start to come into our minds. 
And thoughts have literally the ability to bring life or death. Scripture talks about being um, holding up a shield of faith to stand up against the fiery arrows. And when you think about a fiery arrow, the enemies used to use arrows, light them on fire, shoot them into the thatches of people's homes to try and burn them down. And that's, the, that's what the enemy does. He wants to shoot fiery arrows into our thoughts that can literally bring death. And one of the key things we need to be aware of with thoughts, thoughts don't always originate from us. So we need to ask, what is the source of my thought? And is it bringing me life or death? Is it bringing me peace? Is it bringing me fear? And the only power a thought has over you is the degree to which you agree with it. So the minute you make an agreement with the thought, you then solidify it into a place of a belief. So think about Genesis 3. The enemy is saying to Eve, did God really say? Okay, so there's a, there's a doubt question. There's a doubt thought. And I think it was by verse 6, it says, and she was convinced. So from trigger to thought question, she made an agreement somewhere on the line that actually God's holding out on me. So she's now convinced of that thought, which then led to an action. So being aware of agreements is so crucial in that space because the minute I make an agreement, it now sets it off into a whole trajectory, which results in the belief. The belief is then gonna result in what we call a consequent emotion, which is the C in the model. So now if I make an agreement with something, God's holding out on me, God's not good, I'm not good enough, whatever the story I'm telling myself is, it's gonna produce some kind of a negative emotion which will result then in and will influence how I behave. And I, I spoke around just now how all behavior is driven by need to connect or self-protect. So how I choose to behave is either going to be constructive or destructive. Now, when I'm choosing behavior that's destructive, it's going to have an effect. So I want to give you a simple example that I often use just from, from, from my story. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, had a bad relationship with a mom to the point where I was convinced I was adopted. It's a true story. So I'm 12 years old. I actually go looking for my adoption papers. I'm that convinced. I don't find them because I wasn't adopted, but I do find my birth certificates and my parents' marriage certificate. And they're six months apart. The thought that comes into my mind is you're a mistake. That's why you don't belong. And so I've always had this feeling that I didn't fit in, that I don't belong. And so I then agree with the thought, I am a mistake, which then becomes now my belief, which produces the emotion of insecurity, fear, anxiety, hurt, disappointment, which results in a behavior of just emotionally shutting down, withdrawing, pulling away, because that's what mistake people who have an identity that don't belong do. The effect of that resulted in kind of relationships being very distant, very shallow. And this is what people don't realize is that when I'm choosing a behavior, the effect of my behavior is going to impact my world. So if I'm pulling away from relationships because of a fear, it's going to also result in people avoiding pushing in because they go, oh, well, she doesn't really want deep friendships. And so when people now stay at arm's length from me, that becomes the evidence to back up the story I'm telling myself is truth. Mm. And this is what keeps people stuck in destructive cycles. So if I'm choosing not to push in, I'm choosing to hold back. If I'm choosing not to kind of, if, if, if I fail and the story I'm telling myself is nothing I ever do is good enough. So what's the point of even trying? 
that's now the self-protective behavior. I'm not going to give of my best. I'm going to just avoid. I'm going to live a very minimal life. The, the, the fruits of that is not going to be great, which again fuels and in a sense strengthens the belief I'm telling myself. Well, you see, nothing you do is good enough. You see, you're nothing. And so when I choose an avoidance living lifestyle now, what I don't realize is avoidance long-term triggers my deepest fear, which is failure. But I choose avoidance because I'm afraid of failure. And this is where people get stuck in self-destructive cycles that keep robbing and, and literally spiraling them down further and further and further. The mind has the ability to gather any evidence to back up the story it's already telling itself. That's crazy. And that is so true. I can yeah. re resonate with that. Yeah. I can be going through anything. I can have the slightest thought that's negative yeah. and my mind backs it up. It gives me a full yeah. newsreel of why Completely. that thought is, is true, you know? And, and then you're going, you see, you see that person never returned my call. You see that person never invited me to that. That's because I don't belong or that's because. And so, yeah, we, we, we become stuck. Well, that's incredible. Look, I'm just looking at some of the comments on the screen here. People are saying, so good. Drop the mic, Matt. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, profound. This is good. So they're really enjoying this. That was when you were talking about identity, which tells me that there's a, there's a lot more to say about that. And I was thinking when you're talking about identity, that when someone is sure that they're secure mm. and is able to say that, what feels they need to say that at the expense of somebody else's peace, the question begs to be asked, are you really secure? You know? Yeah. So, cause I do, I do think that that is the subject of being secure or insecure is one that the world talks about a lot. Are oh, they just insecure? Oh, they're very secure. But when somebody who's not sure what they are has to, has to tell everyone what they are and ruins the peace of the room. And I've been that person at times where I'm like, guys, I'm good. I'm, I'm totally okay in this moment. And everyone's feeling uncomfortable because I'm getting angry. And I think there's some, I'm just saying this to you, but I'm actually talking to everyone that's watching Mads. Anyway, I've got some questions. <laughs> Uh, one of the questions somebody is asking, this is really powerful um, and interesting, actually. They said, my kids have asked me to stop playing, stop crying and stop playing sad music. Mm. Um, they're telling me it's ruining the atmosphere of my home, but I'm processing real emotions. Yeah. What would you say to the mom in this equation or dad? I'm not sure if it's a mom or dad. Yeah. Look, I think, I think children tend to take their cues from their parents in the sense of going, what's healthy, what's scary. And if a child doesn't understand a why, so why is mom feeling this? Why is she crying so much? It can cause them to feel a sense of panic because they feel, they want to know somebody's in control. And if it looks like the person that they're dependent on is not in control, it's going to make them feel insecure. So sometimes, I mean, what I've just often done with my boys is I'll explain to them, this is what I'm going, this is what I'm feeling That's right correct. now. Children need to know that you're not God. And in a sense that you bleed, that you feel that you have good days, that you, you know, because it's going to give them permission to also feel the same. And, and if you can model to them, so this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm needing this is what I'm doing, then it gives them handles and processes and tools. So there are times where I'll just climb in the bath, I'll light a candle, I'll put on a song, like a worship song and repeat. And I'll say, right, this is mom's time to just, I, I, I need to hear from God in this because I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed and, and he's my base. That's great. And so if a child kind of go, okay, well, that's what mom does. Um, then, then I'll take my cues from that. And there may also be times where, where you need to put boundaries around 
spaces where you can grieve or you can feel because we don't want to, you know, when even when I'm training counselors, sometimes you get triggered. And you don't want to now cry more than your client because that's <laughs> not going to be a great space. So you may need to have spaces where you actually put privacy around your emotions. I'm not saying all the time, but if you're feeling, you're constantly in a place of feeling overwhelmed. Um, to the point where it's becoming scary for your own kids. And I do think you need to have safe boundaries on that. I don't want to kind of give two extreme spaces because neither are healthy. They, mm. you, you need to have healthy spaces where your kids see your emotion, but at the same time, they shouldn't feel overwhelmed by your emotion and that it's their responsibility to fix it or make it better. Because children, their hearts naturally want to get in there and go, how can I make it better for mom? You know? Yeah. And sometimes even saying to them, hey, you know what you can do for me is why don't you just make me a nice cup of tea or something like that? Or my boys will go pick a flower out the garden and they feel like they're doing something, but don't make it their burden. That's brilliant. Yeah. So give them age appropriate or emotionally yeah. appropriate responses in yeah. that moment yeah. and clarify that this is not theirs to carry. Yes. This is totally. what you're going through. Yeah. Very helpful. Yeah. Uh, I've got another question. There are a few and I think they're going to be more coming up. So if any of you have questions, um, Someone has asked, do you run any identity courses? Dubs wants to know. Yes. Um, I've got a whole bunch of um, video online courses from the wholeness course. I've actually just released a course uh, a couple of months ago called Identity Foundations that specifically speaks into performance-driven and avoidance-driven identity. Um, and I'll give you the kind of, kind of one-liner. Your identity is not meant to be based on any kind of behavior. It's ultimately meant to be based on, on the foundation of knowing who you are in Christ. And that's the kind of nugget of that course. Um, so, yeah, and then I've got just some kind of great mental health courses. So they're all short, 10, maximum 15-minute videos, lots of reflective questions to help you process. And it, all my courses are designed in a sense to take you on a journey of better understanding yourself and pointing you back to Christ. I love that. I love that you keep giving ownership for people to, to, to own their story with good identity in Christ. I think it's powerful. And also that you keep giving us permission. You keep saying this. I don't know if, I don't know how intentional it is, if it's just part of who you are now, but you keep giving permission for all of the people listening mm. to feel the necessary emotions yeah but to also process it with some form of awareness. Yeah. Help people around you know what you're feeling. Choose the appropriate moments to express them, mm -hmm. but don't suppress them. I keep hearing that as you yeah. speak. So yeah. it's really liberating. Just saying that yeah. to people is really liberating. Um, someone wants to know, is it foolish to make life-changing decisions? I'm guessing somebody is thinking about something <laughs> big. Is it foolish to make life-changing decisions when you're grieving or experiencing some form of loss, or let's say trauma, mm. or do you just embrace life, suck it up, and roll with it? I would say it would be very foolish to make a big decision, because when you're in any kind of trauma or big emotion, it literally turns off your thinking brain. Wow. And so if your thinking brain is turning off and you're now trying to make, well, put it this way. If, if sports will give you a red card because you're throwing punches in the field in the middle of the World Cup and put you into timeout so that your thinking brain can turn back on, then the same for anybody else. So to put yourself into timeout, allow yourself to process emotion. It's kind of like diving into a swimming pool. Your goggles get filled with water. You can't see clearly. You need to release the emotion in order for your thinking brain to come back on. So I always, I always say, take time out on any decision-making processes. Allow yourself to get it out. 
Okay, so what I want to do here, because this is interesting, um, we've all felt foggy at times, mm. but I think one of the things with trauma, with uh, fear, like, is the question: Am I actually experiencing fear? Is it, is it, uh, is it um, dangerous what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling toward it? One of the challenges that is to know where you're at in the process or in the cycle, or um, whether you should in some way stop, pause. Like, when do you know there's too much water in your goggles? I need to take some air, right? Are you able to give us some like triggers, maybe, mm -hmm. that we should all be looking for? Mm -hmm. That are maybe it doesn't feel like there's water in our goggles, but you can affirm for us if yeah. this is what you're going through, if this is how you're responding, if this is whatever, whatever the triggers are. Mm -hmm. There's water in your goggles. You need a pause moment. Yeah. Can you help us know when to take a pause? Sure. Ask your spouse. <laughs> Tess, just mute the, just, just mute your. Because your spouse is a mirror, isn't it? They're going to really kind of hold it up and say, actually, yeah. So, so if you I... want to take over here, but I'm just feeling I need to go home and have a conversation with Tess. I think our emotions are such a great red flagger because if I'm finding myself triggered more and more and more, it's telling me a story. At the same time, if my world is getting smaller, so instead of pushing in, I'm pulling out. Instead of dreaming big, I'm shrinking. I love that. If my world is getting smaller. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. That's amazing. Then those are big red flags in the sense of because now fear is dominating. Fear is going to put me into a prison and minimize and rob and steal and destroy. And, and that's in a sense kind of such a great indicator as to what is governing in a sense the foundations of my identity. Like I said, you know, when, when, if, if my identity is wrapped in performance and performance is based on the ability to spell and I'm afraid, I'm going to be avoiding, I'm going to be hiding, I'm going to be withdrawing, I'm going to, I mean, there were even times I was petrified to speak because I would get verbal dyslexia, I would sometimes stutter, I would sometimes go, what is the right word? And so if my values caught up in that, then I'm not going to even consider stepping into these spaces because mm. I'm afraid of failure. So therefore minimizing, shrinking, all of that kind of stuff. So to just sometimes take a step back and to consider the decision-making processes that you're, that you're doing, to kind of look at your world from an overview perspective, from community. How, how many people are you having brutally vulnerable, courageous conversations with? Where you're actually putting your stuff on the table going, so this is how I reacted to my spouse the other day. So this is how I'm being triggered by my kids regularly. This is where I'm finding, like, how even honest are you with your spouse around what is being triggered inside of you? Mm. I mean, the second Adam and Eve felt shame, they ran, they hid, they covered up. It stopped their ability to hear the father with the same ears. So good. And so again, it's everything opposite to what we were created for. We were created for connection. We were created for, for intimacy. But when I'm living in fear, I'm going to be doing everything of the opposite. Um, and we have, to, we have to find spaces to be brutally honest with ourselves. Because again, it's, it's the only way we're going to actually find liberated living. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that Paul claimed his wretchedness. Yeah. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this body of death? He claimed it, and then he claimed his Savior. The more I claim my wretchedness, the more it reminds me of my need for a Savior. It's not my identity. Wow, guys. This is good. <laughs> it's not my identity. 
claiming it. It's not who I am. I am declared righteous, but it's but it's it's my it's my woundedness, it's my brokenness, and, I, and it's a tension that I have to manage. My tension doesn't determine my truth. My truth determines my identity, not my tension. So I don't need to fear my tension. I always say when it comes to even your kids, tell them two key things, that they're loved and that they have a propensity to sin. Because if you deny your propensity to sin, then you're going to constantly hide it. That's brilliant. And I don't want my kids to hide anything because if they're hiding small things when they're little, they're going to be hiding big things when they're older. And so I want them to be able to bring their stuff because we all got stuff. In our family, you can ask my boys anytime. So does mom mess up and they go oh, big time. But in our family, if you fluff it, you fix it. Oh, wow. And you own it. Because then it there's leads so much. To... There's so, sorry, I'm just, <laughs> there's so many bombs going off as you're speaking. Bombs being truth bombs. Um, I feel like we need to do a series around some of this stuff. Like, like do a series called Bring Your Stuff. Yeah. And just encourage the community beyond the religious church ones. <laughs> Not that you are. I mean, I'm talking to others. Um, to just bring your stuff, own it. Mm. Like we're mixed up, guys. Yeah. But we've got an awesome, gracious Savior. Completely. I actually just want to say something quickly. Yeah. I'm sitting in the room chatting to you, and I can feel God's presence moving in this conversation. Mm. I can feel it. Mm. And so I just want to honor the gift that's on your life just in this moment. I just want to appreciate that whatever you've done to open your heart, open your hands, yeah. I know you stepped out to start something new. Yeah. I can see God's hand is all over it. And uh, don't stop. Thanks, man. That was just a little side note. Thank you. I really feel that. And it's really blessing us. I'm going to keep going with some questions here. Are you guys enjoying this? Can I get a thumbs up? Let's test your reaction ability. Oh, I got some clapping hands. That'll do. That'll do. Okay. So um, how about this one? How can you help someone who's navigating trauma or you perceive to be navigating trauma, mm -hmm. um, but they aren't fully recognizing it in themselves. Mm. How do we approach that? I want to link this to another question Mark actually asked me earlier. He said, how do we as a church community mm. be proactive and healthy in this conversation? Mm. And I think it's linked to this. Yeah. How do we approach people that perhaps are navigating trauma, haven't recognized it yet? How do we as a church do this well? Yeah. I think one of the key things that we need to do more of is to is to have the so how are you really doing conversations because most people are going to start off saying i'm fun and we know that fun stands for feeling insecure neurotic and emotional <laughs> and so i think to to press pause and ask the question again so how like actually how are you really doing i, I want to know uh, i think most people are afraid of being a burden and so again, they want to just hold back. They're afraid of being rejected. So they want to hold back. And if we can become more intentional around the how you're really doing, um, I think that's going to be helpful. Um, and again, self-awareness. If you're not pushing into community and you don't have people that are close to you that can actually hold up the mirror, you know, I mean, I've, I've actually, I've got about two or two friends that I have, I know this is going to sound weird when I say it, that I've put into hospital because I've seen red flags where they're about to have breakdowns. Um, and so seeing the red flags, seeing what I call rigidity, the kind of inability to actually think flexibly, the inability, so they're constantly just angry, they're, they're, they're fighting, they're, they're, they're just not coping. Um, those are all just classic signs that, that a person's stuck. 
in that destructive cycle. Mm. Um, because again, it's really hard to think creative when I'm living in fear. And then again, people just stay in these cycles, their worlds become smaller. Um, when, when, when you know people well and, you're, and you can pick up red flags, if you don't step into those spaces and actually hold people accountable where you go, hey, I'm really worried about you because I care about you and I want to have brutally honest conversations with you, but I need you to, to own your space and, and take your mask off, um, then people are going to stay stuck, you know, and I think, yeah, I think we have to push in. I like what you said there because to ask someone how you're doing and then they say fine and then you go, how are you really doing? Uh, it can get a little bit, if you're on the other side of that, it can be a little bit like, mm. hey, don't press me. I'll yeah. talk when I need to. Yeah. Um, but I like what you said. The approach to it by saying, hey, listen, I love you like mm. more than you know and I've had you on my heart and I need to know yeah. from the bottom of your heart that you're doing okay. Yeah. Are you all right? Yeah. I think that changes the whole approach. It's Completely. not just how you're doing. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm letting you know right now that yeah. I know something's up Yeah. I can and I'm it. asking you to give me permission to find out more about this. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, people are asking questions around their kids. Mm. You gave some flags for adults um, mm. or I suppose for everybody else. My question is going to be, is it the same? Mm. Like the world getting smaller, consistent triggers of emotion that are unhealthy. Yeah. Um, is it the same in children? Are we looking for the same? Do you see that in the mm. kids that you speak to? So it's going to come out in behavior because they, they will go from emotion straight to the behavior. They're not able to process cognitively. Brilliant. So their behavior again is, are they going to be, it's going to be constructive or it's going to be destructive. They're going to be in self-protect mode or they're going to be in just pull away mode. So it's the classic, what I call Harding Hulk. So my, my oldest son, when he's fearful, when he's anxious, when he's frustrated, whatever it is, he won't show the emotion. He'll put on Hulk. <laughs> he'll yeah. go, he'll go into fight mode and I've taught them and, and all these tools are on my website for free. So I've taught him to kind of, I've, I've, taught, I've, I've specifically asked questions around going, I can see that you're in fight mode. I can see you're Hulk right now. You're just angry. You're lashing out. You're frustrated. So I'll name the emotions. Tell me what are you feeling in your heart? Is Hulk trying to protect you, make you feel powerful because your heart's feeling scared? So a person will choose a behavior that makes them feel powerful when they're feeling powerless. Brilliant. That's amazing. So understanding that that kind of destructive kind of behavior is actually a defense that's making them feel powerful when they're scared helps, helps in the sense diffuse Hulk. And then I start to talk to the kid behind that's in the heart versus my youngest son. He, he'll just start turtling. He just curls up into a ball, <laughs> gets under the blankets, gets under the bed. He tries to kind of minimize and shrink and just disappear as much as he can. And then again, I try and whisper into that place. I can see that you're hiding. I can see that you're shutting down. I can see that you're wanting to protect yourself by keeping everybody as far away from you as possible. Talk to me about what's happening in your heart. So you need to connect with your child from an emotional level before you can re redirect. So connect before you redirect. What parents struggle to do is they, they see the behavior and they want to correct the behavior first without connecting to the emotion. Yeah. It doesn't work. Sure. And so if you can connect with the emotion first, name it to tame it. And when you validate it, it makes sense to me while you're feeling like this. Brilliant. Given that. There's a sense of I experience my value. I'm seen. 
So my boy didn't want to go back to school after homeschooling. He's like, it's not fair. It's two hours at home versus six hours at school. I don't want to go back to school. And he just dug in his heels. And then I just, at first I was like, you have to go, oh, hang on. I need to teach myself this. <laughs> and then I had to like take a few steps back and go, okay, my boy, I can see you're frustrated. And I can see that you think it's unfair that school is so much longer. So I just validated what he was feeling. And now you feel powerless because you've got some parent that's telling you, you have to go back mm. and you can't do anything about it. That must be super frustrating. And now you just want to feel powerful and take the power back. So there's always a power struggle. Children want to feel some sense of I'm in control of my world. And same for us as adults. It's no different. So this is good for us to all know, like this conversation is awesome. Um, the cognitive thing that you keep mentioning, you keep mm. saying kids don't have cognitive ability at that age. Mm. What is the age that we can start expecting people to engage cognitive responses, which mm. is, if anyone's listening, going cognitive is a big word. Mm. Uh, I thought so too until I studied it. Cognitive kind of just means the ability to process information in a tactical way, right? Yeah. I can actually strategize my way through this cognitively. Yeah. That's not the doctor's version. That's my version, Mads. <laughs> But at what age can we start expecting people or helping people to cognitively process, mm. which also means up until that age, we've got to give kids a lot more permission not to. Yeah. Well, I think your brain's only fully developed about 23. So it's a great trump card if you're trying to have a rational conversation, even with a teenager. It's just like, look, your brain's underdeveloped. I will. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think. I think self-awareness is so cool. <laughs> you know, if you don't have good self-awareness to have a rational cognitive conversation with a 40 year old is not going to be great. Oh, wow. So if a person, so, so here's another interesting thing. I can have a cognitive conversation when I'm dealing with work issues, but I can have an irrational conversation as a 40 year old when I'm dealing with emotional conflict. I was going to ask you about Because this. of the wounded child. So there's, so it's actually a new course I'm about to launch. Imagine inside of you is, an, is one of those old stereographic equalizers. You know, the, those columns that bounce up and down with a bass and treble. Now, if at the age of five, no one teaches me how to count or how to add and how to do basic maths. And I never, ever get taught that at school, I can be 45 years old, but have the math ability of a five-year-old. If no one's ever taught me how to process emotion or deal with conflict sure. or regulate my emotions, I can be a 45-year-old, but still have the emotional capacity of a five-year-old. Hmm. So if the age you are where a skill set is not invested into you, so maybe a dad leaves because of a divorce or a death, and now there's no one speaking into our, in our, in our identity foundation, I'll carry on growing chronologically but I'll stay stunted at the age that in a sense I wasn't invested in. And that's the wounded child. Wow. And so again, I can cognitively process in one area, but fail in another according to my own inner brokenness and being aware of trigger points, because you can get somebody that's incredibly street smart in business, but incredibly emotionally mature in their relationships. Um, and so would it be yeah. fair to say because self-awareness keeps coming up mm. I guess we need some kind of grid to know are we self-aware or not because yeah. I'd like to think I am but the more you speak I question it um, are things like at a base level triggers just knowing what triggers me and how I respond 
yeah. positive. And is that a good self-awareness? Yes. Like, so anyone listening now is going, all right, what's like a entry-level self-awareness check? Mm. Would that be one? Do I keep triggering a negative yeah. response to certain things? Is that yeah. a nice easy one? Yeah. So I think asking yourself questions like, when I'm in a scenario, do I find myself going onto the defense? Oh, brilliant. Do I find myself trying to justify or rationalize or make excuses? Um, if I find myself able to, you know, if someone kind of says to me, hey, Mads, like, just got sent out the kind of information on, on the screen, you know, for your course, and I've noticed a couple of, you know, spelling mistakes. If I go, oh, well, you know, I did it in a real rush. Now I'm, now I'm defending myself. I need to do this. Yeah. Anyone out there that can identify with the example Mads has just given, whether it's a spelling check, whether it's you thought you were right, but you actually, whatever. Can I just see a hand? I'm going to put mine up over here. Like if I ever got defensive over something that had nothing to do with, <laughs> there we go. I just felt like yeah. joining you all for a moment. So put it this way, Dil, I want you to imagine that as you walked in here, you tripped, fell, dislocated your shoulder. So now you have a pain. Okay. If I walked up to you and I gave you a bit of a punch on the shoulder as a hello, you would, you would physically and emotionally react because of the pain. If I could see that you had a dislocated shoulder, I would have a level of empathy in terms of how I respond because I could understand the physical pain. Now, our hearts are no different, but we can't see the injury. So in a sense, it's almost like walking across a desert and there's landmines underneath the surface. And we're in a relationship and someone's talking to us and then they kind of point out something and they step on something and inside of us, there's some kind of either an explosion or an implosion. That's telling me a story that there's a, a trigger, that there's a wound, an insecurity, a fear, an unmet expectation, um, some kind of an identity crisis because the minute I am triggered into any kind of a reaction that's destructive, it's telling me a story. Okay, so we, we go to work on this. We identify these things um, and we become more aware. Yeah. And we also become better at sharing our stuff with people. I'm going to do a series at Link called Bring Your Stuff where you won't be allowed at church unless you can get honest with something you're going through. Yeah. Anyway, I can't really do that. I would <laughs> like to. Um, but let's say we're working on it. We're, we're trusting God for fresh identity because at the end of the day, His grace is doing it. Mm. You know, that's what I love about this is layered through all this conversation is his grace is sufficient for this. And if you can own your weakness, you can invite his grace. Yes. But if you don't own your weakness, well, clearly you don't need the grace. I love that. It's powerful. What does it look like to wake up in liberated living? What, is, there a, is there something that you can say to when you wake up or when you step into this moment or when you encounter this and this is how it goes, you know you're in liberated living? Because we all want that. Yeah. Is, there a, is there like something to check on that? Um, I think it's a matter of, of again, no fear, because if I'm secure in knowing who I am in Christ, if I'm secure in knowing my position in Christ, then what do I have to fear? If I fail, does it take away from my value in terms of knowing who I am? Nope. If I succeed, does it, does it give me an inflated ego? No, because actually it's, it's irrelevant. Um, whether you succeed or fail, it has absolutely nothing to do with your value. Um, and I feel like for me, 
there, there's an aspect of just kind of living in the slipstream. So I, I know there's tensions and this, I, I, I kind of want to go back to this tension and truth thing in this place of liberated living. The more I want to deny the tensions of this world, the more it's going to smack me in the face. Okay. So we live in a world where people are fickle, fallen, fragile, infallible, and caught in the grip of death and decay. That is my tension. But my spirit is being renewed daily. So I have eternity written on my heart, which tells me that I'm created for eternal living, but my body's caught in the grip of death and decay, tension. If I don't manage tension with truth, then tension's gonna overwhelm me. People ask the questions, well, why did God allow COVID? Uh, because we're caught in the grip of death and decay. So if I can hold the tensions and use truth as a means of managing tensions instead of denying tension, then in a sense, I'm not surprised by the wrestles that I have. And the more I've learned to hold tension with truth, then I'm not surprised, I'm not overwhelmed, I'm not blindsided. I know that people are going to fail me. I know that my spouse is going to fail me. My children are going to fail me, not because it's their heart, but it's part of their broken capacity. And again, this is a tension I have to manage with truth. The day or well, the second I deny the tension and I want to eliminate it and pretend it's not there because we all just want perfect peace, don't we? doesn't exist. I always say there's pockets of peace. And when you're in one, suck the marrow out of it because it ain't going to go much longer. That. You know, there's moments where you're just like, oh, why can't it be like this forever? Well, that's coming on the other side. But for now, I have to manage my tension with truth and find my kind of hilltop moments, suck the marrow out of it because I need it for the ride. Um, and again, when I hold a right expectation for the world that I live in, I'm not disappointed by it. And I think that's also part of that kind of liberated living where I'm not, I'm not living in an unhealthy reality. I'm, I'm holding in this world, there will be troubles. Would it be fair to say, as you're talking, I'm just thinking that um, tension mm -hmm. is reality, mm -hmm. truth is revelation yes we need to pursue both we need yes. to have a great understanding of the reality of the world we live in we can't yeah. pretend it's not there yeah but we need to fervently pursue greater revelation of our father Completely. in heaven those two parallels need to yeah. be in play because revelation will give you wisdom and we only get wisdom through applying truth if i don't apply truth i'm never going to find wisdom. brilliant Okay, so that's the second I apply truth, I'll glean wisdom, which will give me what I need for managing the tensions of this world. And so it has to go hand in hand, because then in a sense, we really do live in a war zone. And so again, do we even know the strategies and the schemes of the enemy? Most people want to deny that reality. And so again, the greatest scheme that the enemy can get the whole world to believe is that your value is based on performance yeah. because education systems are going to grade you. The business sector is going to evaluate you. The sporting world is going to rank you and face and social media is going to like you. So it's all setting you up for a performance. Brilliant. Identity. That is brilliant. If you don't know the schemes of the world, how do you stand against it? You're just going to get sucked into it. And that's why people perish again. Cause they don't know what truth is. We've got to find, we've got to get into God's word, glean truth out of it and then apply it to the tensions.
Absolutely brilliant. Alrighty, we are coming to the end of an exception, the power hour, best Tuesday of 2021. Everyone's saying yes to that. Um, any other questions out there? Some power out there, Bridge Hadenrake said. Dion Knutzer also, I saw, the, I saw him sneak a comment in earlier to say yeah. surf's up tomorrow. Oh, is it? Yeah, so just wanted to add that. Thank you. Um, any other comments out there or questions people may have? They're going to watch this and replay. That's okay. Ash. Yes, oh. Ash. So good. That's amazing. Um, let me see if I've got a, another question or two here. No, I think you've spoken to so many things. I really do. Can I, can I throw one last nugget? I would love you to. I want to speak around heart and capacity. We're living in a world now where people's capacity is running empty. And we end up judging ourselves and others' hearts based on their capacity. Mm. And so it's such a dangerous space where if, if I'm weary and I'm, and I'm failing you, it's not because of my heart. So there are times where I'll often just say to wow. people, hey, can we connect? And I go, my heart really wants to. My capacity right now is just limited. And when we speak the difference, we can give more grace to each other. And even our kids, my, my boys say, hey, they, the more they're stressed, the more they demand time from me. The more time, you know, the more stressed I am, the less time, the less time I have. And so sometimes I'll just say, my heart really wants to connect with you. But my, what I need right now, because I'm feeling empty or tired, is just some space so that my capacity can, can really grow. Good. And so being intentional about, in a sense, finding what's, what, what's causing the holes in your bucket, finding spaces to duct tape those holes so that your capacity can increase and not to judge your own heart or somebody else's heart by your kind of lacking capacity. So just being kind to yourself and each other's in this season, I think is so crucial. I love that. Be kind to yourself. Mm. That capacity thing's a big one. I almost yeah. feel like if there was a survey to measure your capacity based on response yeah. and whatever, it would be very helpful. Yeah. So if there's a tool like that, please send it our way. Okay. Uh, Mads, you've been amazing. I just, I want to say that again. I loved last week sitting and just listening. I loved this week finding myself like in the flow of the convo. Mm. Um, but just to say, we're just so grateful for God's gift on your life. Really, we are. And for your passion to bring it to the church. I said it last week in my comments. I think it was right at the end. But I love the fact that you're passionately serving local churches to raise healthier spiritual or faithful communities. I love how you keep going back to identity in Christ, the grace of God and our weakness, like you've been born for, I feel like I could run through a wall. Like I'm serious. This one's dangerous. It's glass, but um, um, I'm very grateful for you. One last question. Your website, what's it called? Uh, it's edify-buildingthesoul.com. Edify-buildingthesoul.com. You can check out resource on there or share it with somebody who might want to check out resource. And if someone wants to make contact with you at a more professional level, I don't know if that's the right word. How do they do that? They can just pop me an email, mads at edify-buildingthesoul.com. Okay. And I just want to encourage you guys, if you have friends in Joburg, Cape Town, wherever, across the planet, and you feel like they'd benefit from this, like I might not get to say this to you again because we're in the Zoom room together, share this link with them. It's going to go on our YouTube channel. Uh, share the link, encourage them, and maybe even encourage them to make contact if you feel like they're in a space where they probably could do with that. Um, so Mads, one last question. If someone does make contact with you and they're feeling overwhelmed, uh, their capacity is at its limit. They feel like trauma is coming back to haunt them. Um, 
is there a process where you might say, okay, we're going to go on this journey or I need to just put you in contact with a Can we trust that process from the first email? Yeah, so I'll either do like a like an overview assessment in terms of where a person's at in the sense of do they just need self-care tools? Do they need community care tools? Do they need pastoral or professional tools? So I try and kind of give a, an assessment in that, that space. Um, sometimes a person does need, need to go straight to a professional because the red flags really are kind of waving. Um, and sometimes a person's just needing some empowerment and, and, and a place to just kind of offload, debrief. Um, so I, for me, I'm always, as you, as you said, I'm always about giving people tools. You know, scripture says, clearly you work out your own salvation. You got to do the workout. I can't do a workout for you. You can't find a gym instructor that'll do a workout for you where you get the benefits. It'll be great, but it, it doesn't would. exist. Um, and so again, I'm all about empowering. And so, yeah, um, whether, whether it's going to be through me or um, I've actually got a, a small team of Edify pastoral counselors that I'm, I'm kind of overseeing Amazing. Um, and pushing people into some of those spaces or, or professionals. Yeah. So step one, if anything has triggered something in you to know that something's up, in your in your life uh send mads an email there would be an assessment and from there it might just be a tool for you to help move through it nice and easy uh, or it might be something a little bit more helpful if it's if your if your trauma is more severe let's say and don't wait until your emotions are at stage four before you're asking for help great yeah great i did tell you before we came into the session last year i got back from mauritius and said to tess i need to see a psychologist to make sure that i stay healthy in this process knowing that covid was going to you know, knock the laugh out of so, me and my leadership and my insecurities and all the things. So we're grateful for people like you in this world. Hope you've enjoyed it, friends. Um, it's been an incredible two weeks and there will be more. I like to leave these moments with us all wanting more. This is one of those times. So have an amazing Tuesday evening, a blessed week. May God's grace help you see these things and grow in them. And thank you again, Mads. Thank you for having me. See you guys on the weekend.